Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Virginia is for agriculture lovers. If you don't know where I'm borrowing that tagline from, everything in Virginia is basically referred to that. I've learned that in the decade plus that I've lived here. But more specifically to today's episode, I am going to be sitting down with Virginia Secretary of Agriculture and Forestry, Matthew Lohr, who is very knowledgeable about this stuff. I had a great conversation with him, and you'll really get a bird's eye view into what goes into leading the agriculture department in a state, because everyone knows about Secretary of Agricultural federally. I wanted to get insight into how things differ in a state, and especially here in my adopted home of Virginia. And I'm going to read for you Secretary Lohr's bio. He is the fifth Secretary of Agriculture and Forestry for the Commonwealth of Virginia, serving in the Yunkin administration. Before becoming Agriculture Secretary of Virginia, he was Chief of the USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service, an agency with more than 10,000 employees across 3,000 offices under the Trump administration. He was also previously serving in the Virginia House of Delegates as Commissioner of Virginia Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, Director of Farm Credit Knowledge Center, and as a middle school agri-science teacher. In addition to being secretary, he has two children, and they all together own and operate Valley Pike Farm, Inc., his family farm's operation. You'll learn about kind of his job responsibilities, the different industries that intersect with his agency, some cool under the radar things that secretaries like him do in Virginia, very different from, I think, other agriculture secretaries, and learn about why this industry plus forestry are vital economically for purposes of conservation and much more. Check out my conversation with Virginia Secretary of Agriculture and Forestry, Matthew Lohr. We're really thrilled to have Virginia Agriculture Secretary Matt Lohr on the podcast with us. Thank you, Secretary, for joining me. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to have a chance to share about my favorite topic in the whole world. You're the first state secretary I've spoken to in terms of uh, your particular set of areas. I've spoken to cabinet secretaries, so it's really fun now to be able to hone in on Virginia, where I have called home for over a decade, really been fascinated by what you're doing. And I want my listeners to know more about your background and and your interest in agriculture and farming before you talk about your day-to-day job. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for the invitation to tell the story. I I feel like it's so important for people to understand more about agriculture, forestry, conservation. I mean, there's such important topics in our society that really rarely get talked about. So thanks for providing the forum to do that. Um, I am blessed to be a fifth generation farmer in the the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. It's the the western part between the Blue Ridge and the Allegheny Mountains. And uh, I live in Rockingham County, which is 
Production Agriculture Central. It's the number one ag county in the state, very big in poultry and dairy and beef cattle. And so that's home. My earliest memories were working alongside my grandfather and my, my father. Farming is the only thing that I've I've ever really known. And my goal was to be a, a full-time farmer. And then I got involved in the FFA in high school. And I learned that my other passion was service and communicating and kind of leading and uh, helping to have the advocacy role kind of kicked in. And so I've been blessed in my life to be able to really combine both of those loves. I went to Virginia Tech, uh, a proud Hokie, was a middle school teacher right out of college for a few years. And then my grandmother passed away. And uh, my wife at the time uh, had a chance. To, uh, she was also an ag teacher. So we actually quit teaching and bought my grandparents' farm and began our, our career in, in farming and public service and got involved with the county planning commission and then ran for the school board. And then that led to uh, me serving in the General Assembly, served in the House of Delegates for three terms. And then Governor McDonnell was governor back in, I guess, 2010, and he asked me to be his commissioner of agriculture, which is uh, the person who runs the actual Department of Agriculture. Um, I'm secretary now, and I'll get into that role a little bit later. But so I was commissioner of ag under Governor McDonnell, went to farm credit for four years and worked with the Knowledge Center where I had a chance to do all kinds of educational work for farmers to help them be more successful. And then uh, really neat opportunity came when I was appointed in the, the Trump administration at USDA to be the chief of the USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service. Tremendous opportunity to lead a federal agency, 10,000 employees and 3,000 offices and a $5 billion budget. We got to write the rules and regulations of the 2018 Farm Bill. And so that was just a really, really fun job. And then um, spent a year back on the farm, you know, in between, and then Governor Youngkin got elected, I guess, two Novembers ago and asked me to join his his cabinet as one of 12 secretaries. So I'm the Secretary of Agriculture and Forestry, and getting to advise and work alongside of Governor Youngkin really is a, just a tremendous honor. And I, I tell people I have the absolute best job in the world because I love my boss. I love the topics I get to work on and uh, just to get to advocate for them every single day. What does the Secretary of Agriculture in the state level do, let's say, in comparison to the federal one? So who is it? Vilsack, I think, is the mm-hmm. current one. So obviously state agriculture cabinet yeah. positions are slightly different. But what is your exact role in and what do you do in your day to day job? That's a great question. So I oversee three state agencies, uh, the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, and then the Department of Forestry, and then the Virginia Racing Commission. So each one of those agencies have a a director, commissioner, leader that's also appointed by the governor. So like in my old term, I was the commissioner. So I oversaw the Department of Agriculture. But now as secretary, I'm kind of the, the umbrella person to oversee all three of those agencies. And agriculture is the number one industry, forestries is number three. And so we basically have a chance to help guide them implementing the the governor's vision. I'm really the head cheerleader for all things ag and forestry. And the the racing commission is, is pretty unique because Virginia has a thriving horse racing industry. And what's made it even more exciting this year is that Churchill Downs out of Louisville purchased 
or, or Colonial Downs racetrack or thoroughbred racetrack and all of the, the the parts that go along with that and the historical horse racing machines where people do the, the wagering. And so all of that falls under our secretariat. This is the 50th anniversary of secretariat winning the Triple Crown. So we are just rocking and rolling with our, our horse racing. We've got harness racing in the Shenandoah Valley and then, of course, we've got the Gold Cup up in Northern Virginia. Um, they have two events a year, and then our, our thoroughbred racing at our track east of Richmond. So it's really, really exciting to see the the horse racing industry continue to grow and thrive. So, um, again, there's 12 secretaries, and the governor jokes and says that I really need to watch my back because there's 11 other secretaries lined up waiting to take my job. <laughs> because uh, we have such a just a, we do a lot of really important stuff, but we have a lot of fun too. It does sound like a fun job. And I was not aware that horse racing is also included in your particular line of work. And you had alluded to, obviously, agriculture being the number one private sector industry in Virginia. I think for many states, it's actually the number one industry. What would be the implications if we don't see that industry continue to be flourishing? And and why is it so important as the number one industry in in the Commonwealth? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, well, for starters, I mean, agriculture is the foundation of society, right? I mean, it feeds us, it clothes us, it gives us shelter, it fuels us. I mean, all of those things are just so important when it comes to ag and forestry. In Virginia, we do a, an economic impact study every five years, and we just wrapped that up last fall, show that ag and forestry together have a $106 billion annual economic impact. I mean, huge when you combine them together. Almost a half a million Virginians are employed in agriculture. So just from the employment standpoint alone, I mean, that's a lot of jobs that, that people are, are doing. And just our, our mission is so important. You know, we want to we want to feed the world. And the thing about Virginia agriculture, it said it's so diverse. I mean, you look at the Commonwealth all across the state, from the, the valley where you've got the, the poultry and the beef cattle to tobacco and south side cattle in southwest Virginia, peanuts and cotton and, you know, southeast, it's spread around. But it's so very important. And just earlier today, we did an event with the governor down at the Richmond Terminal up Inland Port, where we announced that in 2022, Virginia ag and forestry exports actually grew 25% and topped $5 billion for the first time in history. So uh, we're growing all these products, we're, we're feeding um, the Commonwealth of the country, and then we're exporting $5 billion worth of our ag and forestry products, which is just incredible. So, you know, we've got challenges. Obviously, there's a lot of, of obstacles that we face, but Virginia agriculture and forestry really are, are rocking and rolling right now. It's it's an exciting time. Would you say that conservation underpins much of agriculture and forestry? Because we have a lot of detractors, I often hear, uh, among fellow reporters and media commentators who really kind of uh, tarnish these two particular industries, and they kind of undervalue and underplay what conservation work they do. So could you speak to the kind of conservation policies your agency adheres to? Absolutely. You know, like I said, I'm a fifth generation farmer, so I'm a conservationist at heart. And I learned by watching my parents and grandparents because they cared very much. In fact, um, our farm has been in my family since the late 1880s. And it's so important to me that a few years ago, we placed the entire 250 farm under permanent conservation easements because I want to make sure that my kids and my great grandkids can certainly have an opportunity to farm if they want to. And so for me, it's just it's embedded in who I am. And certainly um, I would say during my time at USDA working at NRCS, I got to see 
really the the overall benefits of conservation, even from a financial standpoint, you know, you look at, we, we want to take care of our natural resources, right? It's the right thing to do. But when you have really good soil health, for example, um, I mean, A, it sequesters carbon, so there's a benefit there, but, you know, it reduces erosion, It's your crops are more profitable, requires less um, chemicals and less fertilizer. So I always say good conservation makes really good financial sense. And so part of my job and everything I do is to spread the word and be the messenger for what conservation is. There's enormous amounts of, of federal dollars and state dollars that are available now to help farmers with their efforts. We, most of Virginia is in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. So the EPA's got um, these goals that for, for reducing sediment and nutrients and agriculture plays a big part in that. And fortunately, there's a ton of cost share dollars that are used to supplement the efforts of farmers that want to be better stewards of the land, stream fencing and cover crops and no-till and the manure storage management systems. We have a real opportunity now to, again, really step up and do the right thing. And, you know, the, the governor always says, you know, you can be a, a conservationist and you can be a conservative. They go hand in hand. And so it's been really exciting to work in that conservation space and to be able to, to help farmers see the benefits um, and, and all the good things that it does. Obviously, the other side of, or one of the three prongs that your agency handles, you obviously alluded to forestry. The East Coast has actually done a phenomenal job of managing forests proactively without seeing high-intensity fires compared to the West Coast, where I'm originally from and I have documented. Could you speak to the prescribed burn program and some of the other regimens that uh, Virginia forest kind of workers do and in kind of what is already embedded in, in the state? Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing that makes Virginia, I think, so successful is that almost all of our of our forest lands are privately owned, right? And so when you have privately owned lands, it's, you have owners that are engaged. And our Department of Forestry works hand in hand with landowners to help them make the best management decisions. And they, they manage for a timber harvest. You know, we harvest trees out of our forest. And that's good. You know, you want to you want to manage them. And that money helps be able to support other efforts. The other thing that's that's very beneficial about these privately owned lands is that the landowners are are they're present. They can see issues or there's invasive species that 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 happen. Um, you know, you mentioned the prescribed burns, I and mean, we work with landowners when they understand the importance of prescribed burns and, and what that means to manage the health of the forest. So I think all of that is so so very, very important to be actively managing these because um, you know, you look at other states where they don't manage their forest well, and you see the devastation from forest fires and what what happens following the forest fires and just the, the damage that it can have on communities. In Virginia, we're about 80 percent of our forests are hardwoods. And so the other 20 percent are obviously pines. And so we have a really great RT program where we can incentivize folks to, to replant those pines and really step up and kind of help with that. So it's um it's very, very exciting. I love the the, the work that we do with our, our Department of Forestry and uh, being able to really help landowners be the best stewards that they can with the resources they're given. It's important to engage private landowners, especially out east since we're primarily a private land held state uh, in Virginia, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and also much across the east coast. And I think 
the West has a terrible time, not so much the people out there, but the federal government often comes in and, and tries to discourage that. And here in Virginia, and much like the East Coast, I think they don't tend to uh, erode that kind of level of trust. But could you speak, um, Secretary Lohr, more to the initiatives, particularly in ag and forestry, that the Yunkin administration has taken or undertaken and policies you're working with them and some successes you guys have had? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. And I, I give the governor a ton of credit for the work that we're doing. Just at, at an event today, as I mentioned that at the port, highlighting our, our ag export records, you know, the governor got on stage and said, I am the chief marketing officer for all things Virginia ag and forestry. He loves being our number one cheerleader. And he's constantly coming to me and saying, you know, what can I do to help advance the industry? And so some exciting things that we're, we're able to do. One, Virginia is a leader in controlled environment agriculture or indoor high-tech farming. And there's lots and lots of benefits to that because most of the lettuce and those types of vegetables are, are grown in California and Arizona. But, you know, obviously they take a lot of water. There's, there's health issues. There's labor issues. There's environmental issues there's all plus it's it takes you know a week to pick it and get it all the way across the country so indoor farming has been been very successful and virginia is creating a real niche for these great companies to come and locate here um, we've got two of the world's largest aero farms and plenty uh, plenty's going to have a groundbreaking here pretty soon they're doing a 300 million dollar campus just south of richmond going to be the largest campus indoor farming in the world and so we're really investing a lot of resources the governor's set the goal to be number one in the country for indoor farming and in the budget we were able to, to shepherd through hopefully we can get a final budget here in virginia but in, in the governor's budget you know we've got money dedicated to really help attract these types of companies to help them expand and so we, one of the economic tools we have that's been so successful is called AFID. It's the Ag and Forestry Industries Development Fund. It's our incentive package for helping Virginia ag companies thrive to, to locate here or expand. And typically it's, it's about a million and a half dollars a year. It's not a lot of money, but so far in this administration, once we get an approved budget, hopefully, um, it's going to be $5 million. And really being able to target some of these like controlled environment ag and a blue catfish is another area that there's a real threat that we have in the bay that we can try to harvest these animals and uh, be able to process, create jobs and all of those things. So the governor is just all about how can we grow the economy? How can we grow the, the farm economy? And these types of programs are, are just super great examples. But there again, you know, when it comes to speaking at the Farm Bureau annual meeting or being able to do events at the at county fairs and state fairs, working with our 4-H and our FFA students, those are all things that he just recognizes, A, the importance, and B, um, what's coming, that next generation, and as a as a goal, how we can be more supportive. And I mentioned real quick, his wife, Suzanne Young, and our first lady, same. She she loves agriculture. And so we met with her a year ago, and she's like, I want to be able to help uh, promote agriculture. And she loved Virginia wine. And so we created the special project where um, she was able to create her own special blend. We partnered with one of the, the winemakers, and we we rolled out about 2,200 bottles. She designed the label and the name. And with that, the funds, uh, the, the bottles were sold and about $10,000 
um, was generated for a profit, and she wanted to make sure she could make a donation of, of the proceeds to support a, a cause or a charity or some type of agriculture group. Uh, we're going to do this every year. We're in the process now of, of putting the second year together. But last year, she chose to give all the proceeds to our Virginia 4-H and our Virginia FFA foundations, recognizing uh, the importance of our next generation. So that just goes to show the kind of support that the governor and first lady have. Agriculture is not the industry that's going to make the front page of the, the Washington Post, like a lot of other political issues. But but make no doubt about it, the governor understands the importance and is always willing to lend a hand to support and promote where he can. That's a really cool view into it. And if you guys need help with catfish mitigation, I would be more than happy to volunteer myself. But the governor should create some sort of like catfish harvest. You know, other states do this kind of like for hunting and fishing, but that could be something you could relate to him because people would love that they would pay an entry fee, help yeah. kind of get the the catfish out there, even for recreational purposes. So that would be very, very cool. Obviously, yeah, yeah. agriculture is extremely important. I think I understand that. I think my listeners understand that. Most Americans understand that. But we still see, even with all the benefits laid out there, and people see how much it matters to, obviously, consumers and producers and just the footprint it has and how the industry uh, feeds and clothes us, there are still ever kind of looming threats to the industry. What are some of the threats that you are personally worried about? Um, are there any policies in particular for me, something that I've been kind of bothered by with with what certain people or certain actors want to do with productive agricultural land, I'm very concerned as a person who's a conservationist that we see um, some clean energy development on productive ag lands, which can lead to deforestation. Um, food insecurity is also a big problem. Eggflation, uh, the environmental, social, and governance movement. Anything of those kind of stick out to you as a problem or something for people to be aware of if they care about agriculture? Yeah, it's like I mentioned earlier, you know, we are really thriving in Virginia agriculture, but it's certainly not without its threats and challenges, right? Because not everyone appreciates the work that we're trying to do. Um, a, a couple I'll mention that kind of tie in with what, with what you said. First of all, you know, environmental issues are so very important. And we are part of the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And basically for the last 20 years, the EPA has put um, benchmarks of where states, the six states in the Bay shed need to, to meet their reduction goals of, of nutrients and sediment. And the last round is 2025. And basically, if we don't meet our, our WIP goals, our watershed implementation plan goals by 2025, the EPA has the authority to come in and start mandating these practices. Instead of it being voluntary, now it's going to be mandatory. And so, Obviously, um, that's that's a big deal because no farmer wants the EPA coming onto their farm and telling them what they have to do. So we have been very proactive and to try to, like I said, to try to help farmers understand that these are the challenges that we have, um, still making it voluntary, but really letting them know all of the incentives that are out there and the cost share dollars. So that's one that we're going to continue to, to deal with. I don't think we're going to meet these goals by 2025. I think everybody's kind of admitted that, but we're committed to doing all that we can. And so the environmental movement is going to be one that we will continue continue to fight. Um, you mentioned energy. Uh, I will say the, the governor's approach I love. It's it's really it's about a balanced energy plan. We gosh, we need energy. And you know, Virginia's the another world leader in data centers. And even the the CEA, the indoor farming that I mentioned, requires a lot of energy. So the governor's 
you know, approach is let's let's diversify. Let's get as many different energy sources as we can. Let's not just focus on one primarily, but let's let's really try to spread it out across the board. And you mentioned solar. That is an issue. I mean, we need solar energy. I think that we we see the importance of that. But it but it comes at a cost when you have these five and ten thousand solar acre solar projects that are coming in and many times clearing all of the forests and gosh, you know, trees are good for so many things, right? The the carbon sequestration and the health of our waters, but we're trying to get those those goals met. But if we're coming in and cutting down all of the trees and taking away really good prime farmland to put solar panels on, then we're really not accomplishing the the ultimate goal. So we're going to continue to to try to again use solar in a balanced approach and being able to you know still give localities some input and some say on what they want in their localities and so that's one that's going to be continuing to we're going to continue to monitor that um, here here in Virginia too you know when you rely on large scale production agriculture like Virginia is a huge poultry state. And uh, three weeks ago, Tyson Foods announced they were closing one of the complexes north of Richmond. And so basically 72 contracts, contracted farmers are no longer able to, to raise chickens. And you've got 700 jobs, uh, primarily in the processing plant and the feed mill, and the, those jobs are, are gone. So we are working really hard to work with the affected localities to see if we can try to recruit another poultry integrator to come in. We've got the farmers that, that want to be able to continue farming, but they need to have some way that they can can do that. And so that's something that I think when, you know, the Pilgrim's Prides and the Tysons and these farms, they've gotten so large that, um, you know, when they have complexes all over the country, sometimes they make decisions for their bottom line that are best for them, but certainly it affects local communities. And so we continue to to work on that as well. And, and the last one I'll just mention, that's um, we deal with right now, every day is labor. There's just shortages of labor, not just in agriculture for, for all sectors, but in agriculture, we really see that, you know, on-farm labor is, is very difficult to find good qualified labor that's got a strong work ethic and really wants to be able to, to do the job. But um, but labor across, you know, in the processing ends of companies and businesses, I mean, there's just a, a real labor shortage and trying to work with our H2A and H2B programs to see how they can fit and what adjustments we can can make. Uh, we're working with our Department of Corrections to really look at those types of uh, prison rehab programs to, to train workers in prison or our prison farms and try to bring them back into the industry. So we're we're being creative to try to find ways to address the issue. But I think everyone agrees if you don't have a good workforce, then you're just not going to be able to have a good industry. And so we continue to, to be engaged in those issues as well. And then I know the governor said he's interested in uh, protecting Virginia farming interests from, let's say, the CCP buying uh -huh. farmland. I'm not sure if that's a big concern for you, but is that something you guys are monitoring? Oh, absolutely. That's been a, a big initiative of the governor this year. In fact, we have our reconvened session on Wednesday when all of the senators and delegates come back to Richmond to vote on the governor's amendments. And there was legislation that passed, and we've made some some edits to it, amendments to it, that hopefully the the legislature will uh, will approve on Wednesday. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a real threat. And th the cool thing about it is we're seeing Congress really weigh in. It's not partisan. I mean, Senator Mark Warner, who's a Democrat, has been one of the real champions on making sure that security 
is so important. And so the, the legislation that passed, basically, it, it, if you're a foreign adversary, you cannot purchase farmland in Virginia. That's the, the bottom line. And especially, you know, we have Wallops Island, which uh, which is a, you know, a huge uh, potential threat. And there's farmland all around Wallops Island. So if a, if a foreign adversary like CCP were to come in and, and purchase that, you know, it really has national security implications. We've got a lot of military bases in Virginia, and there's a lot of farmland around those bases. We don't want foreign adversaries purchasing that farmland. And so uh, this was an initiative that the governor laid out in a state of the Commonwealth address last January. We've worked hard. We, our secretary has been shepherding this bill through along with the policy team. And so I'm really excited to see, hopefully on Wednesday, where uh, the amendments get adopted and the governor can, can sign this bill into law. So Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I'll say about our governor is that he's been a leader on a lot of these issues, really gotten out in front of some of these issues before other states. And he's been like a real a real leader when it comes to addressing some of these. And I know this legislative session, there were a lot of other states that um, that are trying to deal with similar issues like this. So it's been great to work for Governor Yunkin and, and just see his vision for his, his slogan is Virginia to be the best state to live, work, and raise a family. And that's what he, he believes in and practices every day. He's certainly trying to do that. I think most observers can see like what is happening in Virginia. It's exciting. It's very interesting. And especially on the CCP front, uh, safeguarding farmland and many other issues for sure. I think people, even his critics, are even saying that he's doing tremendous work there. Uh, Secretary Lohr, what else would you like to add before we conclude our conversation? Anything, any other final thoughts? If young people want to learn about farming or if they want to raise their own backyard chickens, what, what do you recommend on any of those issues? Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for giving me a forum to be able to talk about. I love Virginia, and I will promote Virginia agriculture and forestry all day long. Um, agriculture is important. And the thing I love about it is that it's diverse. And if someone has an interest in being engaged in production agriculture, you know, there's a seat at the table for you. We've got large-scale farms, the the contract growers for Smithfield and, you know, the, the poultry companies. But, man, our, our local food movement is thriving you know, farmers markets are growing, being able to have a, a local presence. Our our large retailers are really focusing on buying Virginia locally grown source foods. Uh, we're really pushing for more local meat processors because there's such a demand for, for local processed meat. And so the thing about it, like I said, is that there's there's a spot for everyone, whether you have one acre and you want to, you know, plant some vegetables and sell at the farmer's market to you just inherited a thousand acre farm and you want to be farming big time. Um, there's opportunities out there. And so, uh, again, for anyone that's interested in Virginia agriculture, I would just highly encourage you to reach out to us, reach out to our, our Department of Agriculture website. Um, be more than happy to engage with you and, and help you see the opportunities and also the resources that go hand in hand so we can be able to, to better serve. And then if people want backyard chickens, we had, had a private conversation. I told oh, yeah. you about the ridiculous fees. I'm yeah. hoping they can amend it in lieu of all the eggflation issues. Uh, but I think you said best people have to look at their localities, but it's not impossible to do it. And they just have to be aware of, you know, avian flu and different things. Because I think it's becoming increasingly popular to have backyard chickens, even close to D.C., Richmond oh, yeah. and other areas. Absolutely. You know, you're right. I mean, that's again, that's part of that local food movement, right? People want to know where their food comes from and if they can raise their own eggs, that's all the better. Like I said, it's it's a local issue because some localities, you know, there's there's noise concerns, there's those types of things where um, there may be some ordinance in place. So 
If you live in a locality that does not allow it, then again, reaching out to your local city councils or board of supervisors and try to make those connections and and try to, or as you said, even sometimes there's large fees that are in place. You know, work with your local governments and and uh, try to educate them. And in this case, to see the benefits of being able to to raise your own your own egg. So that's exciting. I'm glad to see you being involved in that space. And I'm going to try to make some progress. <laughs> I had a chicken in suburban California growing up that was hatched in class. So I've, I have some little experience here, but maybe down the road I'll have more time. Uh, yeah. But Secretary Laura, where could people follow you and the agency and connect with you to learn more? Yeah, I would simply just Google, uh, you know, Virginia Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, or Google my name, and, you know, we'll be able to connect with them. My contact information is really easy to find, but really just happy to be able to to serve and uh, and help the governor in advancing his mission to really see Virginia Ag and Forestry just thrive and, and be number one. So appreciate that very much. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure you're connected to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also on your preferred player, we recommend Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us reviews if you really like the content. Share the podcast with friends who may be interested in learning more about what's trending in conservation and the related industries that entangle with it and sometimes work against it as well. Thanks for listening to the show and stay tuned for the next episode.